I'm your host, writer Todd Smith, and today we're joined by Marcel Rodarte, Executive Director at the California Contract Cities Association, otherwise known as CCCA. Marcel, welcome to the report. Good morning, Ryder. Thanks for having me. Of course. Great to have you, bud. Uh, so you and I have known each other a long time, um, but our audience doesn't necessarily know that. So let's just provide some background. First of all, how did you become the executive director of California Contract Cities and end up in this glorious world of local government? <laughs> sure. Uh, back in 2016, uh, the previous executive director, Sam Olivito, was uh, uh, looking to retire. The executive board was um, looking for a replacement. I was a council member for the city of Norwalk, happened to be on the executive board for the association. And at the time, I worked for the Department of Homeland Security, and I was looking for a change in my careers, I didn't really feel like that was the uh, a good fit for me. And when I got into politics, I, I, I realized that it was something I was pretty good at and it was something that I really loved to do. So I, I was looking for a way to sort of make that my, my full-time job. And this just sort of fell in my lap. I offered to resign my council seat. Um, and if, if the executive board would consider me as their new executive director. And I expected a lot of, uh, we'll get back to you, let us think about it. And uh, we went around the room and it was unanimous. So, you know, a couple of weeks later, I presented a proposal to the association and here we are uh, seven years later. So you've been in both the hot seat as an elected official, and then you transition into the hot seat as staff support for elected <laughs> officials. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, I, but I think it gives me a distinct advantage um, having been an elected official and uh, and serving elected officials from a staff capacity because I sort of know from my time as an elected official what I would go to this conferences for the California Contract Cities Association, what I was looking for. So I think it gives me uh, a huge advantage in planning conferences and and you know, building the association. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It's good insights to sit on both sides of that dais. Mm. Uh, all right, so next question then, what the heck is Contract Cities? What's the association all about? Sure. So the California Contract Cities Association was founded back in 1957. Uh, there was a bill passed called the Lakewood Plan that allowed cities in Los Angeles, well, cities throughout California, really, to contract with counties for law enforcement services through the sheriff's department. Um, over the years, originally, the association was founded to protect the interests of those cities uh, with the state and county to make sure that funding was adequate, that uh, that costs that were billed to cities for that, those services were you know, reasonable. Uh, and really over the years, uh, in the past 60, oh gosh, 68-ish or so years, since the inception of the association, it really sort of, what a contract city is, is really morphed. Every city now contracts for one service or another. It could be waste hauling, it could be IT services, plan check services, engineering services. And so we're really redefining what it means to be a contract cities. Our membership has really expanded to include cities that are traditionally what, what folks have called independent cities that have their own police and fire departments. And it's because our legislative advocacy has really, really grown um, in the last five or so years, uh, both at the county and the state. So um, it, that's really sort of the the foundations of the association uh, and to, you know, support local control, to strengthen local control, to make sure that our local elected officials are able to make decisions uh, for their own communities. All right. Very good. So how and how does CCA kind of fit in that in that mix? Right. So are you guys negotiating sheriff's contracts or um, and you also tend to have a little bit of L.A. focus, but I know you're interested in going beyond L.A., right? 
Yeah, we, we've started growing into Riverside. Uh, we actually do have members in uh, Ventura, Riverside, San Bernardino counties now. Uh, formerly, back years ago, we had some Northern California cities, uh, but those have dropped off. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of, you know, a few years back, the exec excuse me, the executive board decided to really start focusing on the Southern California contingent, right? When we look at statewide politics, the, the, the politics in Northern California tend to differ from Southern California. And so we thought, well, a good niche would be for us um, to focus on the Southern California cities that are frustrated with statewide policies, particularly policies that are coming from Northern California politicians that may work for Northern California cities, but don't work for Southern California cities. So as we've grown into these other cities, we're really starting to look at uh, ways to serve those communities. Um, aside from cities that might contract with a Riverside or Ventura or San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, how can we serve them at the local level? Um, our advocacy efforts um, from the county up to the state have really, really, uh, we've really strengthened our relationships with legislators and supervisors. So um, our goal was, and, and it is currently, that when uh, LA County supervisors think of contract cities or they think of cities in general, they think of contract cities. And, and, and it's really uh, been a benefit to build those relationships because it's, it's given us not only uh, insight and, uh, and a foot in the door with all five supervisors, but when it comes to things like the Blue Ribbon Commission on Homelessness, it was us who was given a seat on that very important commission to look at the way that LA County is dealing with homelessness. The uh, one of the reasons so the legislative advocacy came up several times, and obviously, I think for most people who are going to watch this podcast, they can well recognize some of the local control questions that are up and housing mandate policies. And there's obviously a diversity of views within cities on those issues, um, although there tends to be more unanimity around the idea of retaining local control and letting cities do what cities do and serving their communities. Um, but in the context of all that, uh, this legislative advocacy is a pretty big deal. Contract cities is somewhat unique in its structure being able to do legislative advocacy whereas other associations um don't uh either because of legal structure or whatnot could you you know just without getting mired in the legal details what what is unique about that and how does you what do you attribute the kind of foresight of the founders of contract cities for giving you that latitude sure uh, yeah i i think the way the organization was structured at its inception is is a huge advantage for us uh for example there are associations out there that are 501c3s which is a traditional nonprofit so folks let's say contributing funding or whatever can can write that off right they can tax write it off on their taxes but what we found is most businesses or our associate members as we call them that are contributing it's they use these are funds that they use as for business development or or other types of, of funding that are part of the normal part of doing business. So a tax write-off isn't necessarily what folks are looking for. It's this business development part of it. And so we are a five hundred one c six, which is essentially a trade organization. And so what that does is it allows us to um, take positions on political activities. Uh, whereas a 501c3, as you know, uh, churches and, and those types of organizations aren't supposed to be getting involved in politics, even though we, we see that more and more now. But um, it gives us the, the leeway and the freedom to take political positions without fear of jeopardizing our legal um, authority. And one of your most active committees is a legislative committee, correct? Correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, we've really grown that committee. Uh, when I came in, it was uh, it was a committee that met uh, occasionally. 
Uh, and over the last several years, um, the, the association added a full-time position uh, a few years back for a legislative analyst. And when my last analyst uh, left for a uh, bigger and, and, and better pastures, um, I decided to bring in uh, Jorge Morales, who is uh, our legislative consultant now, so as on more on a consulting role. But his experience uh, in the in the legislative community has really opened a ton of doors for us. It's made us uh, more relevant, and it's gotten us into some places that we might not have otherwise gotten into. So it's it's worked very well for us. And then, um, so here we sit uh, as we record this right now. It's May, uh, so the legislative session has started. Um, in the first of the two sessions for this particular uh, gathering two-year cycle, uh, what, what kind of what's hot and heavy for contract cities this year in the legislative front that you want cities to know about? Oh gosh, uh, there's so much. Uh, so what we've seen this year is thousands upon thousands of bills being introduced in the legislature, um, and so it makes it difficult for a smaller organization like ours to track. But fortunately, there are tools out there that we use to. Uh, keep an eye on what's going on. What we're seeing predominantly is a continuation of what we've seen in years past. We're seeing legislation regarding housing and and uh, and uh, zoning laws, and uh, we're hoping to see some public safety stuff, particularly around catalytic converters and uh, intersection takeovers and that kind of stuff. Um, there's just so much coming at us. Uh, the housing, I think, is is of huge concern. We've seen a couple of concerning public safety bills. Um, one that would uh, prevent law enforcement from using canines to do any kind of searches, uh, which is a tool that they use, you know, to to keep their deputies and officers safe and out of harm's way. Uh, and 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 the the canines can be a valuable resource. So um, that that we've seen that kind of bill. Um, we're hoping to see some bills at some point, or at least a ballot measure that is going to give some strength back to what we're seeing as far as the um, the retail thefts for repeat offenders. Um, to rethink um, Prop 47, 57, and AB 109 and how we're dealing with those folks who are uh, repeatedly taking advantage of the current system uh, right. because it's detrimental to our public safety. And we need to make sure that people, particularly people who are going to repeat over and over, uh, you know, they're going to um, – victimize the community because it is a community ultimately when stores decide to close or they're it they happen to be in a store when this happens right it's the community that's being victimized as well not just the retailers so we want to make sure that people are being held accountable um but also looking toward reforms i mean there, there obviously needs to be criminal justice reforms but we we know that there are certain people that um that need to be in prison or that deserve to be punished for you know taking advantage of of people um yeah so so a complex myriad of issues from uh, oh, yeah. from criminal reform to housing policy and the whole nine yards, all these things that ultimately trickle down and affect our communities. But cities Absolutely. have at times had more sway on some of those issues, particularly around, say, zoning policy. Crime is always a tough one. It, clearly, if you can have some spectrum of crime enforcement given your agency, um, but, you know, who actually prosecutes those crimes is always a, a little bit of a different story, too. Yep. Um, contract cities, um, <clears throat> I also, I guess, along these lines, and and something I, I can recall is you become more focused given that the bulk of your membership. How many members do you have these days? How many cities? We have 80 member cities now. Yep. Okay. So big associates. That's a lot of cities, right? That's yep. a, a fifth or a, a sixth of the cities in California. Um, so one out of every six. 
most of the cities are in Los Angeles County, correct? Correct. That's correct. Uh, and something that I thought was pretty innovative on your part uh, and really relevant to a lot of your member agencies and something I'm sure you can take elsewhere was doing advocacy work with the county as well. And obviously, county of LA is a massive government in and of itself. I mean, it'd be a whole state government by many standards. Um, and so recently, you had some advocacy work on some some potential uh, legislative activity that was going on at the county level. You started legislative action days. Can you just explain a little bit about oh, that focus on, on the county of LA as well? Sure. So the, when we talk about contracting with the county for services, it's not just law enforcement. Uh, the, the fire, there are a couple of cities that actually contract directly with LA County Fire. That's a little different. Most cities uh, back in the late 70s when Prop 13 came into fruition uh, that opted for the NOLOs, basically they gave their property taxes back to the state and through the county, uh, they were entered into uh, fire districts. And so those fire districts, those property taxes pay for the fire services from LA County. Um, But there are a lot of our cities also contract for public work services. They contract for animal care and control services through the county. So the LA Advocacy Day was uh, something that started about four or five years ago, and we wanted to focus, because we have such strong relationships in LA County and we wanted to continue to strengthen them, we wanted to give the folks from LA County, the department heads and supervisors, an opportunity to address our uh, membership. And so we go to the Hall of Administration, um, we get as many people as we can, it's a very large room, so it doesn't look like there's very many of us, but usually it's, you know, 60 to, you know, 70 or so folks, depending on the year and, and the time of year where we do it. Uh, usually in the spring. And we, we hear from uh, as many of the supervisors as we can get. Uh, we hear from the sheriff, from the LA County fire chief, from the CEO. And last year, we actually held a uh, a sheriff's candidate forum um, at the cathedral across the street to let all 14 of the candidates that were vying for sheriff uh, have their say. And uh, it, was, it was well attended. Uh, we had good press coverage. And I think it's those types of uh, events are really what put us out there as far as, uh, you know, the go-to advocacy group, uh, particularly in LA County for cities. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think it was a great innovation and certainly, um, you know, local local government advocating to local government has a big impact, especially for these contract cities that are dependent upon the county or contract with the county so often for an array of services. Yeah. The um, all right. So the association has lots of gatherings. There's plenty of opportunity to get together. There's, you know, kind of 10 times or so a year. There's a monthly meeting you get together at and there's dinner and conversation presentation, some business that gets done. Um, always a good time, uh, usually attended by a bunch of elected officials and occasionally some city staff and city managers as well. You have a city manager group that gets together um, to kind of bring them together, to talk about city manager related issues from a staff perspective. Um, I'm always a big fan in January of every year. You're one of the first associations to go up to Sacramento for the state legislative orientation tour. Uh, and you guys have done so good. That's kind of an extension of your legislative advocacy work and has been something you that's a hallmark for you guys. Um, my recollection is in the fall, you do a seminar conference, sometimes up in the mountains, but you go somewhere, it's kind of like a smaller conference, more intimate with uh, a couple couple days worth of content. And then there's the big, the granddaddy, uh, <laughs> AMS, Annual Municipal Seminar. Uh, which is coming up. So it's partly what's prompting <clears throat> my desire to talk to you today. Can you talk a little bit about AMS, what that's all about, uh, our tradition around that AMS and and whatnot? Sure. Um, this is the, the annual municipal seminar, AMS, as we lovingly refer to it uh, because it's shorter, uh, uh, started, gosh, I, I don't even remember. I think it started probably the Associations of Fund in 57. And I think the first 
annual Minnesota seminar was probably in 58 or 59. So this is going way back. Traditionally is the conference. It's it's an annual gathering for one. So it's, it's two days worth of sessions, whereas our fall conference is only one day of sessions. But it's two days worth of session that's kicked off with a golf tournament uh, that's been tradition for as long as I can remember. And it culminates with the installation of our new president. So this is an opportunity for elected officials uh, from the local electeds to the county electeds to state elected officials to gather in one place to collaborate, to corroborate um, what they're doing and how uh, they might do uh, different policies or projects better in their cities. It's, it's, a, it's a collaborative melting pot, if you will. Um, we... We plan it with um, sessions. So each year, our incoming president, they are considered our host city. This year, uh, we're working with Beverly Hills, and our theme is, you know, uh, preserving our past, uh, innovating for today, and imagining our future. And Dr. Gold, our incoming president, who happens to be the mayor of Beverly Hills, um, really wants to look at how do we get our cities to where we want them to be in 10 years. We, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the issues that we face now. We spend a lot of time talking about issues even that we might have faced yesterday, but he really wants to focus on if we want to be, if we want our cities to be what we want them to be, we need to look forward and not just look forward, but we need to plan out the path to get there. And I love that idea because we talk a lot, of, again, the collaboration and, and, and that kind of uh, theme and working with each other and, and all of that. But really, we don't spend enough time, I think, planning for our future. Cities and government in general traditionally is very siloed. And so what we're trying to do is break those silos down to get all of these folks together to say, well, I didn't know that city was doing that. And that might work for my city, even if we have to adjust it a little bit. Right. And so that's the collaborative part that we love to share. And um, we've been at the same hotel now consecutively. I think this is our 23rd year. So it's kind of like a home away from home. It's a place where we gather. Um, I hear rave reviews all year long. I was just at Skag last week, and and I uh, had a bunch of people commenting like, "Oh, I can't wait for your conference because it's the best one." And um, you know, there have been comments in the past about you know what the conference is, but what it is more than anything else is an outstanding opportunity for elected officials to educate themselves on the current policies, on how they can be better servants for their communities, how they can take back. I remember when I was an elected official, this was the first conference I went to uh, as an elected official. And I remember coming back and say, that was incredible because nowhere else can I go. It's been a couple of days and learn so much about so many different uh, policy issues. Uh, but what we encourage elected officials, I, I think some of the frustration that I have sometimes is encouraging people to go, to take the time to go, take a couple of days off of work if you have to, or, or a day, right? Come out Thursday night and, and spend Friday and Saturday with us um, because the lessons that you learn, the education that you'll get from these sessions is invaluable to your ability to work with folks and the relationships that you build. Anybody that's an elected official that thinks that they can stay within their borders and be effective when it comes to countywide issues, statewide issues and funding, you're completely misguided because if you do that, again, you're creating another silo and those silos, uh, they don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, for context, your typical attendance at this conference the last couple of years has been what? Oh gosh. Yeah. So we see about 500 or so elected officials, city staff, city managers primarily, but department heads, 
um, and we see a, a few associate members. Um, it's it's really growing back in the in, in the heyday, I guess, of the association. This the same hotel. Um, they were upwards in the seven hundred ish range, but that was, you know, when things were a little um, more free, I guess. Like people weren't as concerned about you know budget constraints and that stuff. Sure. So understandably, you know, folks are concerned about that. And so this is why we do these longer term contracts with the hotel to keep the room costs down, to keep our costs down, and. Excuse me. Unfortunately, you know, after COVID with inflation, costs have gone up, but we still do everything we can through sponsorships or through, uh, you know, cost savings and kind of, you know, cutting a little something that people might not even notice to keep the cost down as best we can. Um, but really, really, at the end of the day, uh, the education that you receive at these conferences is invaluable. And I've heard it repeatedly from county supervisors, state legislators. Uh, we have this year. Uh, former mayor from Los Angeles, Antonio Villaraigosa, who happens to be the uh, the governor's um, uh, infrastructure czar. So we we want to hear from him about what does that look like. We have Stephanie Wiggins, who's the CEO of Metro. What does the future of Metro look like? How is LA County, especially you know, kind of tying that back to what we talked about earlier with the housing issues? Mm-hmm. Everything that we see from Sacramento is saying, well, you need to build more housing, higher density housing with less parking. Uh, allowed for those. And and so the concern is, well, we don't have a mass transportation system here in Southern California that allows for transportation to entertainment centers or to shopping centers like you would have in, say, New York City or even downtown LA. And so that's that's a huge concern. So as Metro continues to you know build out their system, what does that look like? How do we, in a suburb like where I live in Norwalk, get to a shopping center or a entertainment center without you know having to have a car? Right. And so those are the those are the kind of subjects that we're, it's important to hear. And, and and we have a panel where we have Supervisor Horvath, Supervisor Barger, and we've in the last couple of years started inviting a Riverside County supervisor. Because, again, as part of, as, as we grow into these these other counties, we want to establish those relationships. So we are as formidable in those counties as we are in L.A. County when it comes to advocacy for cities. Yeah. Uh, well, I also, you know, your comment about mass transit. I mean, the other the other element in all that is that ridership on mass transit is actually declining year over year for several years now. Um, so it's, you know, it's a system that is being rejected by the public at large. At the same time, there's more and more money wanting to be put into it. And uh, I think a fundamental question is, if you build it, will they come? I mean, there's, you know, it's <laughs> just like there's some big questions at hand there because yeah. there's a lot of money. That's a multifaceted problem because you know the public safety or the the public safety aspect of mass transportation is a huge part of why you're seeing ridership decline, right? Mm-hmm. But also the unreliability of the service, the the availability of the service. So all of those issues are reasons why people are saying, "Well, I'd rather just drive," because I know I can get in my car and be where I need to be with traffic, you know, at an estimated time. I can't rely on the train to make me to get me to work on time or to get me to an appointment on time. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I used to work in downtown uh, L.A. and I remember there were times where I, I would need to leave early so I couldn't take the train because there were no trains that they stopped running during the day, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's just com- incredibly inconvenient at times. Yeah, I had the same issue coming up from Orange County to come to downtown L.A. to want to take Metrolink and there was no train after like 7 or 7.30 yeah. and that yeah. would get me back. So, but the meetings would go till nine plus. Now I I subsequently learned Amtrak ran a later train that I could actually take to get back. Pleasant ride, it was a great experience. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, when when in doubt, I'll always prefer to ride a train. It can be very nice, but um, uh, yeah, it's just the inconvenience issues definitely stack up. 
Yeah. The, uh, the Metrolink, I'm sorry, right? The Metrolink trains have had better, um, I guess, quality because I used to take the train, the Metrolink to downtown. And then on the other side of Norwalk here, we have the Green Line, which goes also to, to downtown. But the Green Line was nowhere near like the quality of train, but even just kind of the cleanliness, right? So there's a disparity even in that, even in the mass transportation, depending on which service you're riding, mm-hmm. right? So that's a huge problem as well. Yeah. Yeah, this is a conundrum. It's a conundrum that hopefully we will discuss with the CEO of Metro uh, out <laughs> in the desert in Indian yes. Wells. Um, and just just next week, right? We're there kind of Wednesday through uh, Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I, we head out, our staff heads out Wednesday morning uh, for pre-meetings with the hotel. And we start getting set up for the golf tournament Thursday, Wednesday evening. And then it's just nonstop from there. Uh, we have a dinner um, that's hosted by the Gonzalvi uh, at their beautiful home there just down the street from the hotel. Uh, and then we go through Sunday pretty much nonstop. So uh, I'm trying to get some rest as much as I can this weekend, at least. So, <laughs> Well, I appreciate that in this busy time, you could take a few moments sure. to chat with us uh, and talk a little bit about the conference. So, um, all right. So uh, fi- final question. If people want to learn more about Contract Cities and what it's all about, or maybe get a hold of you to ask some questions, because maybe there's a city manager or council member out there listening to this podcast and is interested in learning more about the contracting model or the benefits of joining Contract Cities, where do they go on the web? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our website is www.contractcities.org.org. Um, we do have under member cities, there is a tab there that uh, where you can um, look at the information on, on how to join. It's a piece of cake. There's no uh, process that you have to go through. You just show interest. Um, shoot me an email. My email is marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at contractcities.org. Um, our dues, our membership dues are incredibly reasonable. Um, we have a different due structure for cities that are outside of LA County again, because we are so sort of more, our, our base, I guess, is in LA and we have the stronger relationships with the LA County folks that we, we give our folks outside of LA County, a, a huge discount. So, um, they're still welcome to attend our conferences and all of those types of educational sessions, but obviously they're not getting the same level at the County, uh, as the LA folks. So, um, so there's information there. There's not information specifically about dues, but if you send me an email, I I, I will let you know based on uh, what our due structure is. And I mean, that's really the easiest way. Um, and every one of my emails, my cell phone number's on there. I'm a full-time uh, executive director, so I don't have another gig that I'm doing to, to pull me away from this. And that's one of the benefits, I think, of our association uh, is that um, – I, I'm, I'm here 24 seven, especially right now with the conference going on. I, yeah. you know, I work sometimes very late into the evening because that's what it takes to get stuff done. But at the end of the day, for me, it's about the quality of the conferences and the quality of the educational ses- uh, sessions that we're putting on uh, is what really matters the most. So the actual work doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Um, for associate members, for any like kind of companies out there that are looking to be a part of the association as well on our website under the associate member tab, we d- there we do have a associate members benefit packet that shows the various benefits at the various sponsorship levels. Uh, and, but w- what I will say to any potential uh, businesses that want to join is it's really up to you to build your network, to build your relationships. Um, I, I, I get people asking me all the time, like, well, how do I make this work? Well, you make it work by we'll provide a, a group of folks that you might want to meet but you have to be willing to talk to them. You have to be willing to spend time with them and come to our events because that's how um, relationships are built and established and maintained. Right. So you got to show up. That's right. That's right. And you, I mean, you, you guys do a great job, right? The, the Trepe Smith team is like 
first class in that. I think you've you've like sort of like uh, perfected that art, right? Of being at stuff and you know making people making it known that you're there. Well, and it's fun. It's an area I'm intellectually, personally interested in, much like you. So showing up is, you know, it's not work. It's just part of life and breathing in legislation and policy issues and personalities. It's a fun group. So. Uh, well, when I, well, sorry, I just want to go back to one nuanced clarification too. <clears throat> Due structure for cities, they're somewhat proportional to population, uh, is my recollection. And you know, just to give order of magnitude for folks to answer that question, we're talking $100,000 a year, $5,000 oh, a year, what is no. it? No, so uh, for, I, I've had a lot of city managers tell me for the amount of work that we do as an association, it's an incredible value. So I'll give you an example, a city like Los Angeles, um, one of the largest economies in the United States and the world for that matter, uh, their dues are in the $10,000 range, right? That's just about as high as we go. Um, they're, oh, I believe the the structure is somewhere like over 400,000. So a large city like a Los Angeles, $10,000 in their budget is a, you know, it's it's not even a drop in, in, in their proverbial, proverbial bucket. Uh, right. I can get that one out. But um, like a, an average size city, let's say like a Norwalk, the dues are somewhere in the range of, uh, Three thousand to five thousand dollars per year, right? And that includes, you know, access for all of your elected officials to our board of directors meetings. Um, our executive board meetings are held um, the first Wednesday. Our board of directors are on the third Wednesday, and they're at locations that uh, rotate throughout the throughout the county. Again, predominantly LA County, uh, but we're being um, mindful of including. Uh, at least one elected official from outside of LA County on our executive board, because the executive board is really where the the meat of the the work is done to shape and and give a direction to the association. So we want to make sure that we're being inclusive of all of our membership. And and even though it might be difficult for them to drive, we have capability for them to join via Zoom, um, and you know that kind of stuff. So. Uh, it's really important for us as we continue to grow, particularly into Riverside, San Bernardino, and Ventura counties, that those folks have a voice too. And this is why we started including our Riverside County supervisors at our annual conference, because we, we want them to know that, you know, we're concerned about the issues too, and it helps us build relationships with those supervisors. Well, definitely the lessons and experiences from the long history of contract cities that have been learned in LA County are equally applicable to Ventura, San Bernardino, Riverside, every county in California. So, for cities interested in the contracting model, interested in understanding just the space in general, um, and you know, contracting be any number of things, as you noted, it's uh, it's it's a great way to kind of get involved and have an alternative voice out there to work with some fellow cities and and collaborate together. And I appreciate the attitude of contract cities for being kind of expansionary, right? Like you want to get bigger. Your goal is not to just be LA. You want to be, uh, you have a broader horizons on Southern California. Is my general understanding of things. Yeah, yeah, we we have. I mean, we 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 started to focus uh, again specifically on Southern California because we realized uh, at you know a few years back that the politics are different, and um, if we focus on our Southern California folks, we we could and we should be, and and we haven't unfortunately for many many years, but we should be a a incredibly strong voice in Sacramento because a lot of the policies that we're seeing that are so detrimental to us as cities are coming from politicians that are from Northern California, but it's in agreement with our Southern California politicians, right? So we need to make sure that they hear our voices and say, we're not going to support your re-election bids if you're not supporting our ability to maintain local control and to do what we need to do within our borders in our cities. So it's it's a huge, huge undertaking. And fortunately, we have some 
terrific allies, you know, that are uh, more in sort of the, the moderate range, if you will, right? But we we have um, elected officials from all over LA County that are at least willing to hear us out, that are at least willing to ask us for um, amendments that might make the a, a certain bill uh, more palatable for for cities. And sometimes, you know, you you have it's better to take a a a, uh, a compromise than a complete loss, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have to remember that as well. You know, I, I think that's lost in politics these days is, the, you know, the art of compromise is what politics is all about. It's not about winning or losing because when when uh, when someone loses, a whole bunch of people lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose for you and I, we've been around long enough to think of redevelopment as an example of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, I mean, it, yeah, I, I remember I had just gotten elected when that happened, right? And that was something that uh, I remember, like, oh, it's the what? What do they? What are they, I forget what they called it, but it was like they're 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 taking us to the cleaners. Well, you had something, and now you have nothing, yeah. right? The 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 new version of redevelopment that was left to cities when um when the the state was sued. The court decided, no, now you get nothing because this is unconstitutional. So, but, but that's, I mean, it's still a problem that cities are feeling today because when we're talking about housing and funding to build housing, that's another frustration is cities don't build housing. And we try to get that through to Sacramento all the time. Cities don't build housing, developers build housing. And if you're not, particularly for affordable housing, if you're not providing the funding for those developers for it to pencil out so there's some profitability in it for them, they're not going to build it. doesn't matter how much zoning you have in any city. They're just not going to build it. Well, and, you know, at the risk of carping on it, like 10 plus years ago is when they eliminated redevelopment, which at that time was the single biggest pool generator of low-income housing funds for cities to support development of low-income housing. And that all got blown away. And everybody forgets the history that there was this pot of money there to help make that possible. And it disappeared and nobody tried to come up with a solution to backfill it. And now here we are many, many years later and we're still struggling with the policy issue. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny that, you know, we're, there's a lot of policy issues that we face right now that are, policy issues that were made way back and you know years ago that are that created what we're seeing today a lot of that is tied into homelessness and funding for mental health centers right that wasn't provided in previous years and now we're seeing this influx of you know uh homeless folks and then you know back to an issue with the county where we're talking about you know this this uh this um it, there, there's a state um a federal consent decree that is requiring the county to release a bunch of prisoners from jails, but a lot of those prisoners have mental health issues or substance abuse issues. And so if they're released without treatment, there's a huge chance that they're going to become homeless. There's a huge chance that they're going to go back to doing what they were doing in the past to make sure they had the funding or the money to, to do their drugs or whatever else it is, right? So we need to make sure that we do these we get that the county's going to have to release, you know, a bunch of prisoners. It's just there's nothing that anyone can do, but there's nothing that the county can do about it. Either they do it or the the federal government takes over the jails. But we have to be very cognizant and careful in the way that we do it to make sure that we're doing it in a way where the people that are coming out that need those services are able to get those services. And it's kind of one of the qualms or the issues that we have with the whole housing first approach. Um, because there needs to be services to go with the housing. Because if somebody isn't ready to be in formal housing, or they're schizophrenic, or they have substance abuse issues, or other mental health issues, 
they're not ready to go into uh, unsupervised housing. They're, they may not be ready to be in a structured environment, right? So right. we need we need all of those services to prepare them and then transition them into uh, temporary and then permanent housing, which I think is great. Um, but we also need, there are some cities too, and I get it, you know, I get the complaint. There are some cities that don't want to do much or say they can't do much. And so there needs to be a nudge on that side too, but at the same time, um, we have to use this balance approach, which is why the BRCH was so important. Um, and we, we again, we had a seat That's on that. BRCH, the Blue Ribbon Commission on Homelessness, which on homelessness, was part right. of LA County's kind of reset on housing homelessness policy, right. given that they were spending billions of dollars a year and homelessness was increasing in the county. Yeah. Yeah, particularly the Measure H funding, uh, because uh, a lot of cities were complaining that, you know, like our, our, our citizens are paying into this this tax and we're not getting anything returned for it. Right. And and so uh, the whole structure, what we found was the way it was set up wasn't really the best structure. And so the county is working right now to sort of reorganize that. But then now we're seeing separate issues with like there's a new project home key. Right. That's state funded through the county. And there's there are cities that are not being informed or they were informed sort of last minute just before this was announced that, hey, surprise, your city has a project home key site in it, right? Like I know Lomita was concerned about some issues. And so we want to make sure that we're working with the county. And that was one of the huge uh, issues with uh, the county or or LASA and HI and, and you know, the, the whole COC structure was that they weren't very good at communicating with project room key yeah. during COVID. And so we want to make sure that they're communicating with our cities and that, you know, our cities have a voice to give feedback. Right. And at the end of the day, they still may say, look, we have to do this. doesn't matter. But at least cities, just like anyone, right. People want to feel like they have a voice, like they're being heard mm -hmm. and yeah. giving input into, you know, to help solve these problems. But um, it, the communication needs to get better at times from the County to the cities. Well, if there's one thing I've learned in my 10 plus years working in local government is cities don't like surprises. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it's like, you know, you're, you're steering an aircraft carrier, right? To cities are, are usually fairly large organizations, even the smaller ones, because of everything that's involved with regulatory stuff or, you know, laws and rules that they have to abide by. You can't just, you know, move on a dime to do something and you have to make adjustments, right? Whether it be staff or otherwise. Yep. hundred percent. Marcel, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate your insights and sharing uh, the great history of California contract cities and look forward to seeing you shortly down in Indian Wells at the annual municipal seminar with 500 plus uh, fellow elected officials and local government uh, professionals, public servants, and uh, other partners in the local government community. And that's today's report. My thanks to Marcel for joining us from the whole public CEO team and myself, writer Todd Smith. Thank you for your time. We hope you learned something new and inspiring that will help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email editor at publicceo.com.